clubhouse. Killing's the one thing that everything on this planet does to survive, Tate. It's the one thing we all share. Now you share it, too. Will something kill us, too, Grandpa? Yeah, something will kill us, too, Tate. Might be a bacteria so small you need a microscope to see it. Might be a big old bear. There's no such thing as dying of old age. Something kills us all. This is Sheila. And welcome to Pod Clubhouse coverage of Yellowstone. This is season two, episode six, entitled Blood the Boy. We want to say thank you, dear listeners. We got some exciting news this week. We got a top 10 rating over there in Canada for this podcast. So we just want to say thank you to all of you who let us into your ears every single week. We yes, really thank you enjoy- for listening. Yes, we, I, so it's, it's nice to get that kind of feedback that, you know, we're not just out there talking to the air, that there's people on the other end. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Pod Clubhouse, you can find them on all the social media platforms. So if you have any questions or comments for us, um, yeah, we would always love to hear from you guys. So thank you for allowing us, like I said, to come into your ears every week. It's just, it's been fun. Yeah, it feels exciting, but it's like I'm just sitting alone in my bedroom talking <laughs> to you on the phone. I mean, it just doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of people. I know. But same. Really that's, cool. that's what this little endeavor is, is reaching out for people. So yeah. uh, so we're excited for that. So thank you all for listening and just, you know, tell your friends, tell your neighbors. <laughs> yeah, I make everybody listen. I like send them the link. I'm like, okay, here's your link. Here we go. <laughs> you have to listen. It's Saturday. You have to... <laughs> have to download yes. <laughs> but no, nothing like friendly obligations that's right exactly it's like i mean in terms of like friendly obligations this is no cost right right <laughs> it's just you know 45 minutes of your time exactly doing your errands on a saturday just keep us on your your phone and we'll listen to you in the car and keep you company but this episode my lord i know my lord I feel like this was one of those moments where, like, if you weren't already completely obsessed with the show, you were like, whoa, wait a second. What, what is going on here? Yeah, what are these people in Montana doing? This took a turn. This took a very Again. dark turn. <laughs> Again. Yeah. yeah. I know. I feel like we're just doing, like, you know, 360s here. Like, every couple of weeks, we're like, wait, are we back to where? No, we're not back to where we started from. I know. It just keeps getting more entangled, which and is so fun. much more dysfunctional. But it's not right? my dysfunction, so I am enjoying it. <laughs> right. Exactly. I want to start by talking about Rainwater and Dan and the Bex and this whole situation. Yeah, it's getting really embroiled. I mean, the Bex just keep sort of peeling back their layers and they just keep on coming. They've tried getting at Dan. They've tried getting at John. And now they're approaching Rainwater. Like, yeah. They are really against this. So the Bex are, to me, they're very established in Montana, right? They have their casino business, the you know yeah, slots. The, the slot machines, right? And I guess they're it's pretty lucrative. They have some nice offices that we saw. They also have you know Malcolm is the head of the liquor board. So like to me, these these guys are pretty established. I'm wondering like are they just like threatened by this new mega casino, or is it just pride that like they're not standing to profit off of this massive deal going on in Montana? I feel like that's it. I feel like it's they want their piece of the pie. But like, why John? Like, uh, like this is always something know. that like, you know, plagues me. It's like, well, why did they get John involved? Just because he's got the largest land. And if they if they scare him off of it, then he's fair game as well. Or his land is fair game. I think they just saw him as powerful and they wanted him on their side. But it's yeah, it's like they're are they trying to stop this casino from being built when it really just seems like they want they're cut you know they're they're sort of threatening rainwater like well you're not going to be able to get any slot machines if you don't go through us it seems like their piece of the profit is limited to what they can get off of slot machines 
Right. Which maybe is a percentage or... I, I'm sure they get a percentage of, well, because they lease them. So I guess... Oh, it, that's Yeah. True. So I guess the, the more slots they have, the more money they make. But at the same time, John not joining up with them is backfiring. Is that accounting then for how, I don't know, is desperate the right word? They're presenting to Rainwater, but the way that they're presenting is obviously very aggressive. But they're doing it in such a way that, like, Mo is there. There's these three random people sitting in his office. (laughs) Right? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, why pitch your bribe? Right? That's what Rainwater calls it. Why pitch your bribe in less than ideal conditions? I just don't know. I mean, like, I'm joking around that, like, these guys need to buy books on, like, how to win friends and influence people. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I'm just trying to understand, like, are they just, like, desperate now because the plot to have John join them is backfiring? It's like they just want to be bullies. They It wasn't their idea or they weren't included, so they're just playing meat. Like, it just doesn't really all add up. It seems like they just want some sort of control in the situation. Yeah, and I feel out of it. And I feel like you're right. I feel like it's like the profit. Because like I thought Rainwater was playing it really cool. Like he was like not even like ruffled at all. And I was like, does he just have does he just have like nothing? (laughs) Like these right these back guys and they just have nothing in against him or over him. They've threatened that he's not gonna be able to get slot machines without going through them. So but they didn't really say what they wanted from him. They basically were like partner with us but for what like to do what right there was no like carrot at the end of the stick it was just the stick yeah <laughs> right I'm hit you with it just whack you with it <laughs> but like rainwater like i said like he just looks so cool and so calm that i'm just like he's in this for like some sort of long game that he knows something that they all don't yeah like he he looks like the cat who swallowed the canary to me that he he's got some other tricks up his sleeve no pun intended he runs a casino he's holding something like i don't know if he has access to some other slot machine dealer or something there's something bigger with how he was looking he just looked too too calm too collected to be i guess threatened in the way that he was i mean that was a pretty big threat and the back's not even like they're being dismissed so easily i don't think it's something that they're used to correct yeah i think that's what's like really driving him is that nobody seems scared of them Right. But Rainwater has a bigger picture. Like he, you know, is sort of saying in a roundabout way, it's not about the money. It was about taking control of the land, like getting it back for his people. So he has other motives other than money as well. Yeah, definitely. And we saw this back to season one when when John had him arrested and, and he was threatening. He says, my plan in the most villain, villainous of Bond villain ways, saying my plan is to take your ranch. Yeah. So that, you know, so, I mean, he's he's out for the land and sort of the power of it all, not necessarily like just the money. Yeah. And that's, you know, he sort of already screwed Dan over and got the land from him. But it's like he his plan is sort of different than anybody else's. So I don't. Yeah, it's like he's not intimidated by their little threat. He still got the land in the end of it at the end of it. So. Right. And he's getting to do all the things that he needs to do. And he's obviously very, very successful at mm-hmm. the casino business without their slot machines. Exactly. They're not enticing him in any way, in any way, like on on either, either end of the spectrum that back, uh, that uh, Rainwater is looking at. He, they're not enticing him from a business standpoint because he already got everything he needs out of Dan. And yep. John is obviously the big fish at the end of his his decision to to do the things that he's doing. So yep. these guys are just like a little like speck on the windshield in terms of his view. Yeah, he's not really concerned about what they have or don't have to offer him. But I mean, like the Becks, though, they do present as the slimiest of miscreants. Um, <laughs> we just did um, a Love It or Leave It for Cobra Kai, the season three that came out earlier this month, yeah. um, which was my, uh, I, I already achieved one of my New Year's resolutions on day one was to watch all of Cobra Kai on New Year's Day. You watched all of it one day? I, I did. I, I planned for it. I told everybody, I was like, listen, when I sit down today, when I do, I'm going to watch all of this and I want to be uninterrupted. <laughs> Yeah, do not talk to me. <laughs> yeah, well, you can talk to me, but I'm just going to pause it. But don't ask me to go anywhere. Don't ask me to do anything of substance. I'm not like there's no like closet that's going to be cleaned out. I'm not helping you build anything, <laughs> child, that you got for Christmas. This was my plan. So, but in Funny. season three, we get like a, a backstory on John Kreese, who's like the mm-hmm. uh, the original Cobra Kai o- o dojo owner and his time in Vietnam and his commander is Terry Serpico, who plays Teal Beck. I'm looking at him, okay. I'm like, where do I know your face from? I needed to put a cowboy hat on him. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's who you are. 
That's funny. So uh, there will be a love it or leave it out for Cobra Kai. So go check that out too. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, the Bex, I, I just love how they present themselves. They, they they come across very polished and very, like, well-presented. They're well-spoken. Yeah, but, I mean, I think they are intimidating. But yeah, but their I... Their persona. And the fact that they're, like, a tag team. Like, one can, like, finish the other's thought. It's very <laughs> smooth in how they operate. And it's yeah. very... Uh, it's very intimidating. But the fact that Rainwater wasn't even flustered by it tells me that he's got, like, a bigger plan that's just not even... They're not even on his radar. Yeah. I like how Rainwater was just cool, calm, and collected with them. Just like, whatever, guys. You don't scare me. <laughs> and in front of three witnesses. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Not the best plan. Like I was just saying, though, it's, it's sort of like they're pissed that nobody is scared of them. Or taking them up on their, obviously, lucrative business dealings. Right. Right, because they so, threatened Dan before, and now Dan's out of the picture, like, even with his liquor license being pulled. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't really know, like, where they're going to go next or, like, what they're really trying to do other than just get their piece of it. Right, because now, like, the ultimate end game, like, they can't get the land that Dan and Rainwater were in on the deal because mm-hmm. now it's considered it's native. Right, it's yeah. native land, right? So now it's it's out of their jurisdiction. It's out of their control. So, yeah. yeah, what is their end game here? So John has obviously pissed them off. So that's not going to stop because they they were rebuffed by John. Yeah, so I don't know. It'll have to be interesting to see, like, what their ultimate end game is. But poor Dan. Dan's not having a good day either. Man, this guy. <laughs> I swear. He, it's like, he never sees it coming, too. It's like, he he I, is literally always blindsided, yes. I feel like he was the one who just looked slightly unnerved by the Beck brothers, although he tried to keep his composure. And then Yeah, they episode, got to him. Yeah, they got to him. Like, they did, he did sort of look nervous in that situation. But here, oh my gosh, like, John just barrels into the office. <laughs> the, the chunks a wine glass, I mean, a wine bottle against yes. the wall. Like, for what? And throws a chair across the table like a freaking Like an child. office chair. Yeah. After he <laughs> knocks the security guard out. Like yeah. Private... With, the, with the wine bottle. Oh, my gosh. This guy. I yeah, swear. that was the bodyguard. Well spent money right there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Like, coming in hot. Like, for what? Why is he acting like, like, why? why did he do that? I don't know. I was trying to find out, like, the exact reason why he had such a temper tantrum because, like, he, I think he's just blaming Dan for being, like, the the first of the dominoes to fall on what's oh. happened here. Yeah, it's like you caused all this to right. happen. Right. And he says, he goes, you know, you, you caused, like, this is all your fault. And I was, like, trying to, like, like let's step, like, take one step back here, John. Be like, well, what, what are we really talking about here? So I think it's that. You know, he. I guess he comes to this realization through the force of violence. I guess that he needs to sit down and talk to to Rainwater to Dan together. Um, so I guess he comes to this this point where he realizes that he needs them all in order to to move forward. But before he even gets to Dan, he finds out that the Becks are responsible for the cattle. Yeah. Because up until so now, like if he busted in there thinking that the cattle were the problem, then he'd have all rights to do that. But he he just found out. That Dan is not responsible, and still he trashes his office. That's what I'm saying. Like I wrote dramatic, like drama. Like, why would you do that? It's you so sound ridiculous. like Derek from Happy Endings. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that show. Well, it's about a show that you told me to watch, and I'm oh, obsessed with it. Drama, drama. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys have got to watch Happy Endings. It is on IMDb TV. Steph told me to watch it like right before Christmas. And I like, there's only three seasons, which is so So sad. I had never even heard of it. It is the best show. And it's so good. It's got Damon Wayans Jr., Alicia Cuthbert. Yeah. The writing in that show is so hilarious, right? Like, okay. It's not just me. Like, it's so funny. It's so witty. It's so funny. It's very Um, witty. Yes. I I really like it. Did you? Okay. Just one. One side note. Yes. We'll get back. Okay. So Penny always says, um, amazing. It's amazing. And then in season three, she goes, this boy, this guy breaks up with her and she goes, he said that I said amazing too much. And she goes, I've only said it twice this season. And she looks at the camera <laughs> and then, um, Max, he looks, he looks at her and he goes, you mean winter? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I've only said it twice this season. 
I just love it. It's so it's, funny. It's so funny. It is. Okay, it's, sorry. It's anyway. worth your time. It's free. Just, you know, yes, well, go, go watch, watch it. it. Okay, so back to the drama. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I wrote down. Like, John, this is over the top. Like, Dan Dan has basically backed off at this point. Like, Dan's bet just got screwed over by Rainwater. And the Beck brothers are threatening him. Like, what does he have to do with any of this? Like, he at has this point. No, yeah, like, Dan has nothing left to be an obstacle in your way. And right. even if he did try to attack the cattle, he doesn't have the wherewithal, knowledge-wise or resource-wise, in order to pull something like that off. So, yeah, he's just using Dan as a punching bag. And, you know, the fact that Dan has nothing left to be an obstacle in his way is just, like... John, like, you've got to get a hold on your anger here. Like, I realize that there's, like, literally bombs going off all around you, right? You know, between your cattle. And that has to be weighing on his mind. But, like, to just, you know, randomly assault. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, he did. Well, he did. He assaulted the bodyguard. If Dan didn't get out of the way, he would have been hit with that chair. I know. Right? It's like... I don't think he was throwing the wine bottle at his head. I think it was meant for dramatic effect. But right. still, all of that is like, again, an arrestable offense. Right? <laughs> if this was any other state in the union. Yeah. So yeah, it was I, definitely over the top. Like, And really, what are... So what are Dan and Rainwater and John going to do collectively? Like, I don't really see... Yeah, I'm not sure what the end game is. I guess... John has decided that of the of the enemies at his doorstep, that the two most reasonable are going to be Jenkins and Rainwater. That's the only thing I can think of at this point, that obviously the Becks have presented themselves in such a way that he doesn't want any part of them. And then from the conversation with he had with Donnie, so like Donnie pulls him over, right, <laughs> on the right. side of the road, you know, basically telling him flat out that the Becks were the ones who did your cattle in friend. But I'm also a little concerned for Donnie now. I don't know if you are. Um, like, I'm getting worried for Donnie now that his secret is out, that he told John that, you know, the Becks have him on the take, right? Yeah. Um, but now he's tipped off John that the Becks are responsible. So you know that John is going to take action, and he does. He, like, runs at Dan like a bull. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to get back to the Becks somehow that Donnie squealed in some oh, yeah. way. I don't know what their psychotic reaches. <laughs> Well, he can't, Donnie's not going to win in the situation either way he played it. Like, if he goes against John and any of the other ranchers in the valley, like, to side with the Becks, he's going to catch it from them, too. So, Donnie's just in a bad way. I feel like way. Donnie's screwed. Yeah, he's screwed. But, I mean, in a way, it's good to see that he's come around because so far what we've seen of him, he's really been so slimy. And there's that word again. Yeah. Don't love him. Well, yeah, he set up Rip to be the one to take the fall for the bear and the hikers yeah. and, and framing it in such a nefarious way at the end of season one that it's just he didn't present as very competent or capable than what we saw earlier on with the um, with the Livestock Association shooting. And then he did the 180. So I guess his conscience is getting the better of him. But yeah. in this sea of players, I just don't see how Donnie wins or donnie donnie comes out upright it's really what i think i'm trying to say (laughs) i'm not entirely sure what donnie's like what his end game is here is he deciding that he's gonna align back with john there was that whole conversation between them about like you know you used to be my friend i never stopped being your friend yeah so i don't know it'd be interesting to see like why donnie is is like flipping the script again it could just be that he's just sick of the backs yeah I mean, he's going to have to sort of do what they want, but I guess he's just warning his friend or trying to sort of play both sides, I guess. I'm sort of wondering why, in the overall grand scheme of things, if the Beck brothers are such a huge threat or have that much power, like why John wouldn't side with them? Because he seems willing to do anything to get to protect his ranch. Right. So, I don't and know. And I think that, that that might be Donnie's endgame, too, is that maybe John will offer the protection. Yeah, for him. So I definitely know that John will be paying for his uh, his golf membership, and uh, <laughs> seeing as how like what, what do they say like a million dollars worth of cattle or something, whatever it was worth, half a million, yeah, half a million. That uh, it's going to severely impact John's cash flow. So, <laughs> oh yeah, not sure where Don. I'm not sure where Donnie ends up in all this because it's not looking good for him right now. No, um, he's on. Yeah, yeah, he's on the nice. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So like overall, I'm just. 
still trying to wrap my head around where we are with this Beck brothers and land and like who's really going to come out on top with this one. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Yeah, it feels like um, like everyone's kind of just chasing rainwater at this point. So it'll be interesting that John, who doesn't seem to play nice with anybody, has to now sit down with Jenkins and Rainwater and work out some sort of an alliance. Yeah, I'm not sure Rainwater's going to be in on that either. Right. Well, you know, it depends on, on what, I guess, John has to offer, because I think he just more wants to get the Becks uh, out of his hair. Yeah. Like they're just like a gnat right now. They're like the the fly on Mike Pence's head from the debate. No, I'm sorry. Take that out. Take that out. <laughs> We're not talking about anything like that. Um, no, that uh, you know that the Beck brothers right now are just a little fly in you know Thomas's like I said they're a splat on his windshield right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, if, he, if it's, he may not be motivated enough to do anything about it, right? But if it if he stands to gain more from it in some way shape or form then i'm sure him he might sit up and take it you know take notice of this so uh yeah. so yeah the, i'm i'm looking forward to the conversation between between dan and john and thomas rainwater oh goodness i think that'll be a very very interesting conversation to see yeah so let's take a little another side note and talk about monica real fast she wasn't in this episode for very long but we got to see her sort of questioning what she's doing, I guess, because mm-hmm. we see her making out with Martin on the couch. <laughs> and Tate is nowhere to be found, so. Well, he's probably sleeping, I guess. Yeah, but like, I don't or think she... Papa. Yeah, I, I don't think she would do that with no. Tate in the house. Yeah. Especially after Tate just saw Casey back in the house the other episode. That's true. But yeah, so she... She calls this off, and she's obviously in some pain here. She's so when she told Martin she was trying to get closer, she she meant she was on the couch with him because she was trying to get over Casey. Yeah, that was a shitty line. I'm gonna say. I it. was like, I don't know and understand how this would give you closure to Casey, right? If that's what she meant, I think that's what she meant, but it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, if she's looking for closure, you know telling somebody that you're going to sleep with them for closure is not really going to, you know, heighten the mood any further than than it is. So, yeah. but Martin's also he fires back. I actually really like what he said here. Yeah. Because I think he's right. Like she's avoiding Casey's to not get hurt. I mean, he's right in saying like, "Well, you're just like hurting yourself now so that you don't get hurt later, but it's still going to hurt later." Right, like no matter what you do, you're gonna have to deal with this at some point. I kind of like I, I like what he said, and I and the way he said it. I think he's right that she's just trying to like push Casey away, make him go away, so that she doesn't get hurt. When that's not really what she wants anyway. Yeah, so I thought she, that was a very pointed comment on his part. Yeah, it was good, and it was well timed because Monica's sort of been at this crossroads where she's looking towards Casey and she's looking elsewhere and she's made this big upheaval in her life. So, you know, she's definitely got to make this decision now of what she wants. Yeah. Truly. I mean, she's never really seemed all that interested in Martin anyway. So I'm not sure how she like sort of got there with him, but I think as soon as she stopped it, he's like, look, this isn't even really what you want anyway. Right. But I think it was also a moment that she guess she had to go through in order to decide what she wants. Yeah. That's true. I don't know. But I did appreciate Martin speaking the truth to her in that moment and just saying, like, you need to figure it out, lady. Yeah. And don't use me in the process. And he was, but like you said, he was very nice about it. He's very tactful, basically making it about her and her choices. So, uh, you know, you could tell he was hurt. It's, it's never pleasant to be like, be told that you're like the rebound boy. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. But, uh, but no, I thought he was very tactful. And he's, I think he's looking out for her, even at his own sort of detriment, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, but his comments like were very thoughtful, I thought. So, Um, so good, good for you, Martin, making her think a little bit about what she wants. And (laughs) because she's so conflicted. I mean, like she talked to Casey, she had him back, but I guess when she's not with him, she remembers all the bad things. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll, We'll see where that goes. 
but that was really it for Monica, right? Like, yeah, just like one little five glimpse of her. Nine, five minutes. Yeah, no, definitely not. Can we talk about Jimmy for a minute? Jimmy, yes. <laughs> Jimmy gets a win. I know. I was actually so thankful to see Jimmy succeed at something. <laughs> even if it is just staying on a bucking horse but like i mean up until this point now we've had this is the 15th episode right and in the prior 14 episodes everyone has just been telling jimmy how badly he sucks at everything (laughs) yeah right so he finally gets his little minute in the spotlight and somebody telling you that hey man you won let's get you paid yeah that's a big deal it is big like, I feel more than anything, like, this is helping Jimmy kind of grow as a cowboy, as a man. The fact that he was able to do something, like, on his own. Yeah, sort of grew up a little bit. And Lloyd. Lloyd in this episode. Man! So, I love him. So he he spots Jimmy the entrance free because of the brand, right? He taps on the brand on Jimmy. Yeah. And so we, we understand that there's this, like, you know, otherworldly connection these guys have with this brand. But at the same time... Like, do we get the feeling that Lloyd did this himself back in the day between like what Rip said, like, you know, joking around with Jimmy, like there's no old cowboy, old rodeo cowboys. But like Lloyd was getting teary when Jimmy was winning. That's so sweet. I was I was like, listen, Lloyd, there is more to you than meets the eye, friend. And I know like when he offered to spot Jimmy the money and he like hit him on the brand, you know, he was saying like we are like a family that's why i'm doing this but i it felt more sincere than just that too like it felt like more than just a obligation of the brand he's doing it for more reasons than just the brand yeah yeah and help and teaching him how to ride and teaching him what to do next and going with him right it's all very sweet i still didn't get the feeling though that jimmy has enough money yeah i don't so he's what he's in for like eight thousand yeah, $8,000. So maybe this will be like a nice down payment on like a good faith payment, right? Uh, I hope so because they told him a week. So right. this has got to be at least a week later. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because this stuff, the rodeo stuff, I would imagine only happens like on the weekends. Yeah. Um, can't really see like a Tuesday night rodeo happening. <laughs> I really, uh, you know, he, for, <laughs> as well as he rode that bucking horse at the rodeo. I was like, man, you sure accomplished a lot in a couple days there, Jimmy. But <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. I am glad that he got the win. And, like, they cheered for him. He threw his hat up. It was so cute. Yeah, it was really cute. He didn't even know he won. He's like, I won. He's like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, just as an aside, though, if I were a chiropractor, I would 100% doing a pop-up clinic outside these rodeos. Oh, for sure. Watching how those, like, riders got all jostled about, I'd be like, oh, my, ba- my back just hurt looking at it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh gosh, of course. And you know when um the the guy who took down like his entrance information when he said, you know, let's get you paid cowboy and Jimmy looks at him like I think it was the first time that he was ever called a cowboy and he believed it. Yeah. It was just such well like a well done scene. There were like so much that happened. It was so much so many layers to it that it was just it was so well done for me. Yeah, it was a really, really great part of the show. And we just enjoy any time that they bring the Bunkhouse boys into anything, so. Oh, definitely. There's like an 800-pound gorilla in this podcast. Yes, we have to talk about it. Can we just say the word just Jamie? Yeah, (sighs) so cringeworthy. I can't even. But before we get to that, so the show opens up with a flashback to the 90s. And Jamie's about 17, I'd say. And John walks up and he's, he's got, he's walks up like he's got his kids all figured out. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the, the entrance acceptance letter to Harvard for, for Jamie, you know, Lee was going to be the one to run the ranch. I don't know about you, but like this whole, like, it just annoyed me. This whole scene, this whole notion of John's. Yes. Like the expectation that like these kids are, your kids are there to serve you, to work for you. Yeah. Like, I don't get it. Like, my dad's a carpenter, and I'm sure he never thought in his, like, any of his wildest dreams that we would be, like, McGann and sons and daughter. (laughs) (laughs) And daughter. You know, (laughs) but I don't know. It's just, it annoyed me that that was, like, the presumption that he had. Well, that's what we keep saying about John, like, through this whole series, is that he's, he uses his kids, he manipulates them to get 
protection for the ranch, but it seems more sinister than that, like the way he does it. Like, instead of instilling loyalty and, like, family values, he's just, like, manipulating them. It's like, well, I need a lawyer and I need you to be it because, you know, Lee's going to run the ranch. Beth's going to be yeah. the shark who's going to do everything that we need. But this right here is still what bothers me about the way they treat Jamie in general is that he did what his father wanted him to do. Like, he didn't want to become a lawyer. That wasn't and he did it without idea. question. Really? Yeah. He's and like, okay, they... I'll fly to, where is Harvard again? Oh, Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even know. Right. So it's like now when you see what's happening in current day and they're treating him the way they are, like collectively as a family, I just don't get it. Like he did what you said, what you wanted him to do. I just, it still bugs the crap out of me. Like why he can't make y'all happy when he seems to be the only one trying to do what his dad wanted. Right. And he's basically doing everything at every turn that he's being told to do. Run for attorney general. Okay. So why is he the one that gets shit on all the time? <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just it's how, true. Oh, it drives me crazy. But the, all of the negative things we've said about Jamie still ring true. And that's why we don't like him. It's because he he doesn't think for himself. He has no backbone. Like he... <sighs> right. So then fast forward to present day when he's looking in the mirror and he's yeah. like, you don't deserve this. So that just tells me that he's taking zero accountability for anything that he's done. And he's resonating just as a coward. He's hiding behind this victim status. And we've said this about him before, is that he plays a victim. Like, why is this happening to me? As opposed to what have I done to land me in this position? Like that level of responsibility I don't think is in his stratosphere like he's just surprised that he's here I it kind of feels justified a little bit because he does do whatever they tell him to do so why are you like unhappy with me at this point you know right I I, I get both sides of it but it's just whenever I whenever they show us this manipulation the way John controls Jamie and then the way that Jamie just does whatever he's told and then they still don't like him that's what bugs me it's like right you guys like <laughs> but, you can't have it both ways you can't have someone that you reinforce as spineless that you keep calling him spineless and chicken shit and all the other things that they call him and then have him do what you want him to do and yet you still further this this notion yeah. that he's he's less than than you for some reason exactly so leading so basically i just feel like very i feel that conflict with jamie like he's doesn't know what to do because he's trying to do what they want him to do what his dad says to do and yet still not pleased still not sort of respected right and so here he is like confessed to this article with sarah and john's like you've screwed us all like you've screwed the family you've screwed your brother and sister like you need to fix this sue her make it go away okay so then when he when he meets with sarah like how does this happen how does it go this way i just don't like well, what? even before we get to that point i'm concerned like what thread is john worried about sarah pulling like and what else is she going to uncover that's not already known well i'm not sure it's unraveling the thread it's weaving it into any story she wants okay is so that, it's, it's more like this point? her now being in control of the narrative as opposed to yes, John. Okay, exactly. got it. I felt like Jamie probably gave away most of the family secrets. I would say so. So I don't, I'm not sure she has all that much left to uncover, but it's that she can use this to create whatever picture she wants. Which even just telling this, recounting the story as is, is not good. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like she has to reach very far to create a very right. negative story. A, a compelling story. Right. So I have a question. Before we even get to what Jamie does, mm -hmm. Sarah, she pressed really hard on Jamie here. And I'm not blaming her for anything that happened afterwards. But I mean, what did she think was going to happen when she poked a bear with things like, you ran for AG in order to appease your father, to do his bidding. You know, you painted your family in such a light. Your father's not a king. This isn't a kingdom. It deserves to be a park. You deserve to lose everything. These are all the things from my notes that she said to him. That's very antagonistic, right? Yeah. And then she right. just turns and walks away. Uh, I don't know. 
Not saying that Jamie's just I, I am not defending him in any way, shape, or form, but I'm just saying that she laid out a lot of cards. Yeah. And basically spat back at him what he gave to her but giving him the thread of the narrative that she wove right yeah like what did she expect to ha- like him to do just be like okay and she walks away not that you would ever think that anyone's gonna do that right my thought was like it's it needed to be that scene needed to be more explosive between them for him to react in the way he did but you're right. Like she is digging his own grave, essentially saying, "Like I'm gonna say all of these things." Well, before we even get to like what happened again, yeah. was he more upset about being disowned or disbarred? <laughs> mm, well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it's. I'm, I think honestly, I think it's disowned. I think he'd be more upset at being disowned because he's got such insecurities he's got such an inability to think for himself to do anything for himself that the thought of being left out in the cold yeah just i think that scared him more than anything i mean he was kind of recently disowned and then just came crawling back so it's like if and then this happened like the then he had to confess to giving this tell-all so he has no options (laughs) right it's like you're not gonna get forgiven that many times friend are are we saying that he had no choice but to do this (laughs) I mean, I, I've kind of been thinking about this. Like, I can see how he sort of, the anger, you know, or this, really, I think it's more fear. He I didn't so. really look all that angry. But the fear of what could happen to him caused him to act. I think once he hit her head and she was unconscious, then he was like, okay, what do I do now? But part of me is, like, obviously, like, appalled, like, that he actually killed her. Like, how could he do that? But sort of on the Dutton side of me of my of my brain is like what else did they want him to do like I know they said sue her but I don't know I feel like this is a very Dutton way to react so really what what would have happened if they sent Rip to have this conversation exactly what happened right exactly, exactly so I mean, what happened wh- I don't know it seems like the way the Duttons take care of things <laughs> they seem to be able to make people disappear who aren't really going to be looked for she's going to be missed That was one of my notes, too, is that like, you know, later on with how it gets cleaned up. But in terms of how like there was no way for him, I guess he was doing the calculations in his head. Like, like if I sue her, the cat will already be out of the bag. The damage will already be done. So like he snaps and he's like, the only way to take care of this is to take care of her. Yeah. And then later on when like they're cleaning up, the, you know, from him now strangling her in the middle of nowhere. Like, does Jamie not know about the train station? Oh, I would think not. Like, Rip doesn't offer it up either as a solution. So, I, like, I imagine, like, the forces of New York would come looking for her, right? Like, she's a yeah. journalist. They, you know, knowing that she was in Montana, they would come looking for her. So, like, I guess she had to be found Yeah. in order for this to have, like, a, a surgical tie-up, right? Like, a neat and yes. clean, you know, break. Yeah, because, I mean, I think the Dutton, like I just said, the Duttons make people disappear who aren't necessarily going to be missed. But Like she... Fred, right? Like, you know, the guy who went to the yeah. train station first that we saw. Like, hey, no one's really going to come looking for you, at least not anytime soon. Right. So, I mean, she's high profile. Like, this has to be, this is a big deal because you can't, she can't just disappear and no one go look for her. But I don't see what suing her would have, like, why is that, would that have really satisfied John? Because still, like you said, the story still probably would have come out. I don't know. But was do you I think still the, feel that way too? Like, doesn't she have another editor who could just publish the story? Right. Like, I highly doubt that her original story is the only thing that's sitting on her laptop. And like, and where's her laptop? Like, there's yeah. for me, there's like a lot of loose ends that are there. Um, yeah. And like, somebody else could just pick up the mantle and publish it exactly, for her. Yeah, I but, thought the same thing. <laughs> like, maybe we're reading too deeply into this, mm-hmm. but. Um, but do you think this was a clever way to get rid of her? Like to have her kayaking and presumably drowned? Yeah. I think that's pretty believable, I guess, for her. Like, do they have a new ME on staff yet? A new medical examiner? Or oh, probably. <laughs> or like, is that new ME like Dutton savvy? Like, or sympathetic to the Duttons and maybe won't look too closely for, you know, the obvious bruising that's going to occur around her neck? Right. That's what I thought. It was like, there are no marks around her neck, but because there wouldn't be 
any water in her lungs. Right. right. Like, I feel like I'm watching like too much like Prodigal Son, um, <laughs> where it's like they just had a case this week where, um, well, the guy didn't actually drown in the pool. Like, he was dead before he hit the water. Like, are they going to do that kind of a test <laughs> out yeah. there in like rural Montana? Like, it's really not going to add up if they. Right. If they, they start did, connecting but... too many dots, they're going to be like, hmm, but you know what happened to the last medical examiner? Mm-hmm. We're just going to let that one slide. Right. But Christina, she sees the news coverage too. Yes. And I just feel like she's like young and cocky enough to not, not really understand who she's up against. Oh, yeah. Not in Jamie. I'm no. talking in the larger Dutton sort of behemoth that they are. Yeah. I don't know. I was trying to read her face. Like, is she looking like scared? Is she looking like, like defiant? I I couldn't read her. I mean, and Sarah seems like the kind of person that the girlfriend would have been completely up on the situation. You know, the editors, like there's more people involved than just her. Right. The story has probably already gone to like version one. (laughs) Right. And I'm sure like someone's eyes at the New York magazine have been on it. And Christina was there for the interview. So, like, she could just, you know, continue the narrative, right? What did you think about Jamie apologizing while he was killing her? Uh, I was going to say, who was he apologizing to again? Uh Uh-huh. The apology wasn't to her. It was for himself. Like, I think he's apologizing to himself, like. Uh, Really? I think so. I think he was just, like, I don't think he was really apologizing to her. I do. Yeah? Yeah. Cause like I mean, when she pulled up and she called, she called him a chicken shit again. Like yeah. this is like seriously, we have to meet out in the middle of nowhere. Like come on, like nobody cares that much about who you're seen with, right? I don't know. I feel like he just didn't expect it out of himself. He didn't know what else to do, and he's like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." <laughs> like, it's not funny, but it's just that whole other side of him, that like coward part of like I can't even. <laughs> But I mean, it like, sounds so bad to think it, but you know, but like this coward comes out after he's already struck her in the head. Like he's already like yeah. run up against her and like thrown her up against the car so that she got knocked out from it while he's spineless and chicken shitted and, and all the other things that they've said about him so far. But there's also this protective streak, this violent streak that he that's now come out. Right. So like there's this other thing that's going on inside of him that needs to sort of be addressed here it's like the what he's doing to get approval or to get you know his family behind him it's like he's willing to do anything it's like that fear that drives him like he's he's handling this the dutton way like you said earlier yeah that finally maybe nature has come out in you know because he's got the nature nurture thing right he so he's nurtured a side of himself to be a lawyer to be well spoken to to use his words as swords as as Mm -hmm. young john dutton says in the beginning but then he also found a need to do it the, uh, I guess, the rip way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I just, I can't say I felt bad for him. Like, I felt just like, almost like this was inevitable for him. Like, this, like something had to happen for him to, like, either grow a set or be the one to jump in the river. Right, as yeah. John said. Actually, John and Rip both said that, like, he basically should have killed himself instead. It was like, ouch. Ouch, friend. Right. I still don't know why. It's like I have that sort of torn back and forth with Jamie. Like, I do feel sorry for him. <laughs> I'm feeling less sorry so for him unlikable. now. I still feel like he it's like you like he has no choice but to try to make his family happy. And he doesn't know how to do that. And then he always does the wrong thing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I don't I'm know. feeling less sorry for him because, like, he's proving that he can. I don't know. I'm really not arguing my case very effectively, but like he's proving that he can kind of take care of himself with this, but obviously he still needs Rip's help. But this is no way to, to resolve something. So like he basically just, he needed to like, let it happen the way that it should have happened, which is what the article should have come out. Because like you said, like it exists out there. There's no way that there isn't some sort of copy that can be floated. Christina could just sit for a new interview. She was there for the entire thing. And if she's as crafty as I give her credit for, she probably has some of it recorded, if not all of it. So, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like like this is par for the course for Jamie. Like this is just Jamie taking care of himself. And it is a cowardly way out. Like he took advantage of he took advantage of the situation. Like she had her back turned and he ran up against her. 
than him killing her. I don't think he was apologizing to her. I think he was apologizing to himself. Like, like you got yourself into this situation. I'm sorry we got here. I'm sorry we're in this situation. That's how I kind of feel about it. Yeah. I'm just, I am frustrated by, like, then, like you said, John telling him that he should have killed himself. I'm like, what do you people want from this guy? Like, yes. You told him to make it go away. Right. <laughs> Technically, he, he did. did. Right. So what? Like, why are you still not happy? I don't know. Ugh. This bugs me. These duttons, man. Yeah, I know. This is when, when you like, you're looking be like, okay, you know, we know you have a favorite. We know you have a least favorite. Just leave us alone. So then he, he's like all snivelly, like going to rip, like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what I did. Like, I don't know what I'm happened. I'm just like the little kid, like, I don't know what happened. And then uh, Rip is like, come on, man. There's something I noticed and it just had me laughing with it. I, again, I find these very inappropriate things very funny at these very inopportune <laughs> moments. So okay. Jamie, when he like, Especially when he's walking up to Rip. This is when I notice it. And it's definitely not the time to start laughing because he's obviously in the middle of his crisis, right? This is his jeans. Did you notice his jeans? They were rolled up. It's like he stole them off Shaquille O'Neal. Like, they were rolled up to halfway to his knee. Like, he... Okay, we know that we've seen Jamie in almost nothing exclusively but suits. Yeah. So it's, like, obvious that he borrowed these jeans from somebody, or at least they're not his. Maybe... (laughs) They were from somebody who was in the bunkhouse before and they just left him or something. But yeah, I was just laughing. And then he's like sniveling up to Rip. So I'm like, okay, serious face now. Oh my gosh. But but Rip is just like, a couple of things with Rip. I did not expect him to A, help Jamie the way that he did. Jamie said something to him and it just irritated the hell out of me. Jamie said like, I always treated you like an equal. Yes, that irritated me too. It really irritated me because, like, I'm remembering a scene in season one when John kicked the snot out of Jamie and Rip comes up and, and, you know, Jamie says to him, like, this is a family matter. You stay out of it. Yeah. Like, uh, that's not really treating someone as an equal. That's saying, get the hell out of here. Mind your business. This is my family's matter. So, And then then Rip was like, I'm not going to help you. And then Jamie says that one thing. He's like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, what? Yeah, I don't know why Rip has a soft spot for Jamie, but yeah. um, whatever. It, that irritated me. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you think Rip has been waiting for, like, the right opportunity to set Walker up for something like this? Because like that, we feels... said uh, last time or the time before, like, we're surprised he's still around after his sort of insubordination. So I think you're right. I think there, that Rip has been waiting for a situation to come along that he can frame Walker. Yeah, or just... Just be rid of him, or at least give him the exact reasoning why he should be rid of him. Yes, exactly. Is that... was look at, yeah, looking for a reason to get rid of him. And I guess it was just a matter of time before something, you know, sort of popped up for him to be like, hey, hey, hey now I've got you. I would, yeah, I didn't really expect him to go that far with Walker in this situation. I was surprised he wouldn't help Jamie at all, like not help him physically, but he was there to help him so it's like well if you're not involved like why are you not helping him right he was just there to kind of like run point or like supervise yeah (laughs) he's like here's 101 how to dispose of a body first of all (laughs) and so it's like he was there to help but he didn't want to touch it and be involved so he made walker do all the dirty work and then like and jamie yeah well i mean but jamie had gloves on and rip had gloves on and then walker's there with his fingerprints yeah, that was a little too sinister for Rip, don't you think? Yeah. Rip was getting rid of Walker one way or another, right? He's, he, he was yeah, going to make him an accessory to murder and have him thrown back in jail probably for the rest of his life, right? Because now he broke parole and he's an accessory to murder. Or the train station, which he's been threatening for, you know, a while now. I don't know why Walker didn't make an attempt to defend himself fight back clean up to his evidence in the rental car mm. i i'm a little i'm a little lost when it comes to how like walker responded here hmm. well because we didn't see much of what actually happened so it's 
they sort of learn as they're leaving that he made him unload all the stuff and right i was sort of thinking like logistically how they got the body into the kayak and then like i have all these like forensic questions i'm like well i do, do too do, like i'm trying water... to i'm like is it is it a weird sign that my brain thinks about all this stuff or is it just i should just watch it for its entertainment value but i'm thinking like how'd they actually get this like comatose body into the thing like sit it up straight like like logistically how does right. this work like i mean you have to get there before rigor mortis sets it and then like does water wash away fingerprints like these are the questions that are running through my head so in the last podcast i did with mike on prodigal son i was like listen i was like listen friend when i die you need to come over here and you need to like delete my browser history because someone's going to be like why is she looking up the difference between psychopaths and sociopaths why is she looking up you know how long does it take for rigor mortis to set in (laughs) his offer was do it in private browsing mode i'm like that's no help. It's already there. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, so I just have questions about like how Walker responded in this. And the only thing I can think of, Steph, is that he just was like, shit, he's got me. Yeah. Like, I am, oh, like, I think he just understood that he was just done and his only option was like, I have to leave the state. Yeah. Which is why he agreed to go to the train station. I think he thought that it was his only way out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely put the pieces together pretty quickly of what happened, so... Right, and he's just... he And he's going to, in no way, come out anywhere clean. Because, Rip, like you said, Rip set it up for him. He goes, well, I didn't touch any... I didn't move any of that equipment. I didn't... You know, my fingerprints aren't all over the rental car. Yours right. are. And Rip was just, like... Don't get us wrong. We love Rip. He was just an asshole. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know he hates walker and all the rest of it but i mean it was just like you said you used the word it was sinister yeah it really was like he rip is not that sinister like he is uh, but only out of loyalty right this was vindictive this was a vendetta yeah it's like his own yeah vendetta caused him to act like this he wasn't doing that because john told him to right and i think you're right i think he was patient and like he seized his opportunity and he just milked it for all it was worth yeah, it just, it felt really just icky. It did. It, like, on all Even fronts. I mean, as a mid-season, like, explosive bomb to go off, I mean, just so well played, well written. I mean, look at us. We're talking about this for almost an hour now. Yeah. Even when it happened, like, you know, in 2019, I was like, oh, oh my lord. Like, this is, like, meant to be at the end of a season. Like, what's in store if we still mm-hmm. have, what, four more episodes to go? But now, so Walker has to be dealt with, right? So Rip's plan is to take him to the train station and bless little Walker's heart. He's got no idea what that actually means. <laughs> he's so excited. He's like, this motherfucker's going to take me to the train station. <laughs> when he's like, when they come upon KC and Casey's like, wait, what? Yeah. So what was know. the dynamic between these two? Between Walker, not Walker, between Casey and Rip. And Rip's like, Casey, you don't know where the train station is. Like, what is going on with these two? It's that whole transfer of power of, like, Rip was the one taking care of everything, and then now Casey's in charge, and, like, they both wear the brand, but why does Casey wear the brand? So I, it was that, like, questioning him. Like, really? You know where the train station is? Because, like, you're a part of that information? I guess, like, Rip's just sort of making sure that he's in on the insider info. So do you think Casey was going to go through with taking him to the train station or did the conversation in the truck change his mind? That's a good question. Look at me with the hard hitting journalism. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Casey was going to take him to the train station. I thought Casey was going to do basically that, like drop him off somewhere and say, promise to never come back. Otherwise he would have just let Rip do it. Right. Yeah. That's what, that's the only thing that changed my mind. I was just like, because he was dry. I mean, he drove to Wyoming. Right, which we've seen is where the the train station is. And back a couple of episodes, we talk about the zone of death. Yeah, but I mean, this conversation was really like a game changer, I feel, for me, for Casey. Like, Walker has all the reason in the world to be dishonorable. But he seems genuine to me that he is going to keep his word to the Duttons. Yeah, Walker's always seemed very genuine. Yeah, like, I mean, he just is unsettled by the Dutton Ranch and he just wants to leave. Like, I think he just wants to live, like, live out his days in peace and just, like, work and play Play his guitar. guitar Like, he doesn't care. Right. He doesn't need all the family drama on top of his day's work. 
Yeah. Like, he just wants to do his day's work and not have to deal with a woman in a kayak. Right. Or, like, a bull in a barn pushing out people who beat up, you know, the other ranch hands. Well, he said he never wanted to go back to prison for any... Like, he's like, I just want to... Yeah, he wants a trouble-free existence. Yeah. Um, So so I feel that he's going to... He was always willing to just walk away and not say a word and just disappear. Yeah, same, same. Um, But I just think it's interesting that Casey is trying to change how the ranch has been run, right? So he tried to involve the the ranch hands a couple episodes back in, like, the the plan on how they were going to move cattle and then how he wants to to run the ranch differently and be something that's worthy of Walker's time in the future after he's had some time to kind of change the culture. Yeah. So I think it's interesting where Casey's mind is because he's obviously rejecting a lot of the things that his dad has done. And for some reason, I think it starts with the brand with him. I don't yeah. think anyone's going to get branded with Casey as the ran- the ranch wrangler head. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the things that he resents the most about his father. And I don't think he wants to subject anybody else to that. Yeah, I think you're right. But with Rip around, it's always going to be a bit of a struggle. Yeah. Why did Walker have a knife out? I don't think did he trusted Casey. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, because, I, I mean, well, these he's guys... very smart. Yeah, but these guys have given him no reason to be trustworthy. Right. And he sensed something was up. I mean... I don't know if if you're in rural Montana and you drive to Wyoming. I don't know. Wyoming seems much more rural than Montana. I don't <laughs> think there would be a train station in Wyoming where there would more likely be one in Montana. Yeah. So I don't think he trusted Casey for a second, but I think he was hearing what his words were. But he was just hedging his bets just in case. Oh, yeah. And it felt like where Casey pulled over was like just ahead. Uh, or just down the road from like that ledge that they yeah right I feel like he was really close so I do too yeah I'm not really not really sure where that was all going and then like how do you explain it then like he's gonna like turn around and go back he's not just leaving Walker in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night is he yeah yeah I (laughs) I was like no you gotta like drive him to Bozeman or something to like the Greyhound (laughs) bus stop right no no you can drop him off in the middle of nowhere it's fine He's just got to carry his guitar. That gets heavy after a while. I guess. <laughs> I like, what did you think about uh, Walker saying that we're all animals and humans are the meanest thing on the planet? Oh, I agree with that. Oh, yeah. I oh, like, I, ooh. I mean, it was very like hitting a nail on the head. Um, yeah. And he said, you know, prison taught him that more, like more so like put like an underline under it. Um, mm-hmm. No, I think, I think people are the worst. But also the best, isn't that? Yeah, I mean... It's like so many horrible things. If those animal abuse commercials come on, we have to shut the television off. Like Mm -hmm. the two of us were like, people do this, people are... Like you can't even call people animals. Animals don't treat each other like this. And then you have that and then you have uh, the other side of humanity that does really good things for people. But uh, I think most of us fall into like the, the better the better side of things but there is just this underbelly that but i think that's what makes walker like he's just such a great character because he's just sees that and he's honest about it like well we've said a lot of times that he's really the conscience or the moral compass right because he's pointing out these things that are just like wait what yeah why do we why are we doing this and you know in in a situation like that the yellowstone like you're you can't ask questions like that like they just don't you know they don't allow that kind of challenging to authority and rip especially like rip is just like nope this is how we do it and don't challenge me don't challenge john and end of the story but walker still is just like "Mm, i don't know this isn't this isn't right right so there had to be some sort of a a climax to that that relationship because there was just no way the two of them could continue on together walker and rip yeah but this i did not see this one coming i was actually really pleased because i love walker please don't kill him (laughs) he's still alive at least yes well exactly so he's he's spared the train station today so maybe he'll find a bus stop and it'll be (laughs) a lot easier for him or like a rental car dealership or something some other mode of transportation I hope so. I hope so. Well, Godspeed, Walker. <laughs> I know, right? We'll miss your singing at the end of the episodes. <laughs> so the only thing I have left is this hunting trip. Yes. 
How old do you think Tate is? Ten? About ten. All right, so I guess he's old enough to go on a hunting trip, right? Yes. Okay. Hunting's not really done much around my parts. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You like it has to be like it's an all day thing. Like you have to drive to the place. Yes, like it's it's it a several hour encounter. Well, my son is seven, and he went on the first hunting trip last year. Oh, okay. But I mean, with a kid stomping around a deer blind, you're not gonna see any deer. So I felt pretty confident in the fact that they weren't actually going to shoot anything, <laughs> because that's where I, like I'm fine with you going on the four wheeler and you know, playing in the mud or whatever. But I was asking my husband, like, what happens if you actually shoot something? Because mm-hmm. you have to clean it right then and there. Like, you have to... Right. Tend just... to it. Yeah. So, I'm pretty concerned at seven of him seeing that. Right. But, I don't know, I would say Tate's ten. So, I mean, you're a little bit more aware of things, I guess. But I was thinking it might scar him a little bit <laughs> at seven. So I was secretly hoping and praying for many reasons that we didn't actually shoot a deer. Number one, because I don't want its head on my wall. Number two, (laughs) I don't want my son to see that. Right. Uh, But, you know, it's it's like the one thing that dads in Texas want to take their sons to do, so... I'm not going to stand in the way too much, but I was a little bit concerned about it. But that's sort of what we see with Tate is this is his first deer. And Casey's kind of proud of him. He's like, it's a bigger buck than, you know, he snagged when he was his age. So I have a question about John and how did he look any different to you in this scene? And I guess where my, my, my track of thought with this is that following the last episode where Casey revealed his horrible war story to John, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm seeing a bit of a softening in how John is dealing with Casey. Like, we already know that, like, whenever he's around Tate, he's a completely different man. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. I feel like I'm picking up on, like, a, a kinder, gentler John when it comes to Casey a little bit. Are you yeah. Are you seeing any in of that? In general, yeah. I'm not sure I saw too much in the scene because they weren't didn't have a lot of dialogue. But I don't know. His face just seemed softer. So I just felt like there was also echoes of what he would have liked to have said to Casey and what he's telling Tate about hunting and you have to be purposeful in taking a life. You have to mean it because you can't take it back. Like, I feel like that was more aimed at Casey than really at Tate. Yeah. Right. Like based on especially based on their prior conversation, like the one that was just had prior to the two of them going on this hunting trip was when Casey was telling him about the horrible war story that he encountered. And then just like the the conversation at the very end where like Tate was just like not dismayed. He was he was a little bit disturbed. Yeah, he was disturbed by what he saw. And then like and then like they had to put the deer's blood on him. Yeah, I've never heard of that. No. Well, I, that would be disturbing. I yeah. Would yeah. I think it's more like a like a ritual, I guess, that's done by some people to. I guess I've never heard of anybody doing that. No, me neither. I feel like it's more of like a Native American kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. Um, but I don't know. But I just, I felt bad for Tate because I think he was just feeling remorseful and like, what did I just do? And I can't, like, granddad already said, I can't take it back. So it's a very, uh, it's very heady kind of a conversation. But the the part at the end where John's talking about like something killing us all and there's no such thing as old age, something always comes for us. That just felt so ominous. I'm like, we're only at the midway point of the season and it already feels like the heady drama of like an episode like nine or ten of a yes. ten episode season right like right. we still have a, a third of the way to go here <laughs> i really liked their conversation though it was a really good ending to the episode and like you said just meaningful based on what they had just experienced in the prior episode so and teaching tate like it's not just for sport or for fun like it means something right and these animals provide us a livelihood and a way to eat it's not just for cruelty so right and they're not just doing it for sport like they're they're intending to use that deer for meat and um that had a purpose so i'm glad they taught him that way seems like the animals in the beck's office were not shot with a purpose (laughs) yeah and i think that that's a really good corollary to make because the duttons are doing this and I, i didn't see 
much in the way of like taxidermy in terms of their decor. So yeah. I feel like it's less about yes. the sport and more about the the symbiosis really of of it. Like like you know a deer will feed us, and he talks about like you know killing is the one thing that every animal on this planet shares, but he's doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. As opposed to like what you said about the Beck. So um, that's a really good way to end this because yeah. they're in a desperate, the, the Becks rather, they're in a desperate situation because now their their pride is hurt and they seem to have no allies left. And John is setting this up to ally with the two enemies that he's got that are yeah. causing him the most gray hair. But now the Becks are obviously now the ones that are causing him the most gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is going to be very interesting. So we got seven, eight, nine, ten, four more episodes to go. And like I said, like the way that this episode was framed, this felt like a, like an episode 10, nine or 10. Yeah. Um, so like this could have been a finale. Right. In and of yeah. itself. Like, and, and the way that like, you know, they trailed off even with the, the song that came on, you know, staring death straight in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, this easily could have been the end of the season. So I'm excited that we have four more to go. It's only getting more dramatic. <laughs> and that just means that we're closer to season four. <laughs> so cannot wait. I'm excited. So we're going to start wrapping it up for here. But if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcast from to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so you get a notification whenever we drop a new episode. And also, if you could rate this podcast at five stars, would be greatly appreciated. And it's a really fantastic way for other people to find the show to get as much enjoyment out of it that you do. So we thank you for that. We thank you for listening. This is Sheila. This is Steph. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.